come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Debbie. I'm your polter guide, Donna. <laughs> I'm your polter guide, Adrian. I'm polter guest, Ian. As you can see, we got a full house, so yay! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which we need because we probably have one awake person among us. Who is it? <laughs> it's just a combined, like that's how much awake oh. we have. You put all of us together and we have enough consciousness for one person. For one person, yes. Just one. No more. All right. So this week we watched the 1999 J-Horror classic, which if you don't know what J-Horror is, that's Japan Horror Audition. Let's go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? And yeah. Um, I'll go first. <laughs> Boy, did I not want to watch this movie. I really did not want to watch this movie. And the reason for that is it has subtitles. And the way my brain works is I do not pay full attention to anything. And I figured I was going to get nothing out of this movie because I was going to miss the subtitles. So I started watching it at about 1230 last night. It's 830 in the morning, just for reference purposes. So I started watching it at about 1230 last night. And I gave up at about 130 last night and was like, screw it, I got to go to bed. <laughs> and then I finished watching it this morning. Uh, and the point of all of this is this movie had my attention throughout. I didn't actually want to go to bed at 1.30 last night. I just couldn't stay awake. Uh, so I was really surprised um, at how well this movie that was not in English held my attention. So yes, the short version of all of that is, yeah, I enjoyed it. TLDR. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, it's one of those that can be the, is this, a, I just want to watch it once because it's got difficult parts. But it can also be that I want to watch it multiple times to get nuance. My answer is yes. <laughs> but I also kind of feel like I need somebody to explain it to me. Same. Which is honestly a problem that I find I have a lot with J-Horror. I watch it and I'm like, that was really cool. But what? <laughs> the grudge? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if A Tale of Two Sisters is japanese or not but i really enjoyed a tale of two sisters and i spent most of the movie being like what the fuck is happening i could not tell somebody this storyline if everything i love depended on it like i just could not and i don't feel quite that way about this movie but there definitely came a point where i was like i am not entirely sure what's going on right now my debbie yes i did like it and <clears throat> I had actually intended to watch it a second time before, you know, between the last attempted recording and this one, and I did not get around to it. Uh, but yeah, for, for purposes of what, you know, Annie explained, um, or nuance and, you know, picking up on some more things that maybe I missed the first time, but um, I did like it. It is a slow, it's a slow burn. And then it ramps like zero to a hundred in the last 20 minutes or whatever. Um, and there was a lot of time during the last 20 minutes. I was like, like like connor was just saying what, <laughs> what? <laughs> but yes yes i liked it this is one i'm not sure if i liked it or not but it's definitely 
I haven't stopped thinking about it, but I don't know what that means. And I, and I have that reaction a handful of times with certain films and, you know, I, it's definitely one that I would, I would revisit, but um, what's funny is somebody was talking about this film on Twitter that it just celebrated uh, an anniversary that it just, uh, I think it was like first of March that it was when it came out back in 99 and it, yeah, I don't know. I'm still not sure, <laughs> but that's okay. The, but that's kind of my reaction, uh, which is very similar to to Connors, is that it's, uh, I'm unsure if I like it or not with J-Hor, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've, I, a, a lot the same. I, it, it's, it's, I have the same feeling about this movie that I have about It Follows a lot, where I'm still thinking about it and I still like want to talk about it. But like how I feel is, I guess maybe this is exactly what the movie wants me to feel too. It's 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 a complicated knot. I like that. I like that explanation of being a complicated knot. Now, for those of you that don't know what audition is about, our good good buddies at IMDb will tell you that. Well, I will tell you first that <laughs> <laughs> it is about the pitfalls of of dating in a society where I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did not have that thought out very well. It's it's a movie about the pitfalls of doing something really fucked up in order to date. That's what it is. It's a romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Classic rom-com. Oh, I like that. They're going to disagree with you. They're going to tell us that a widower takes an offer to screen girls at a special audition arranged for him by a friend to find him a new wife. The one he fancies is not who she appears to be after all. That is probably the most accurate IMDb summary we have ever read. I just like the use of the word fancy. I was very happy with <laughs> with that one. That just, I was like, oh, we use fancy. All right, so we're ready to to get into this and deep dive into audition spoilers spoilers we are so into spoilers but you know what if you watch any of those top 10 shows about horror films and twists and all of that they've already spoiled audition for you just fyi also just i feel like this is one of those movies it's sort of like event horizon if you know it's a horror movie you've already had it spoiled yeah true true The, the fact that it's horror is the spoiler yeah yeah because you don't find that out for a while. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, with this film, I knew the big twist about her because every one of those... Because you live in the world? I live in the world. <laughs> and I, I live in the world and I live in the horror world. So everybody talks about this film. With rightfully so. But, you know, they did the big reveal about her and her intentions. I think and it- at this point, my, my actual main, I'm sorry, Connor, my actual main complaint with the, with the film is just, I, I have, as, as one of the writers on this podcast, you know, I've always kind of lived by the idea that you should let the, the reader know what they're in for early on. And if you just walked into this movie going, oh, this looks interesting, um, you'd be very, very. No, uh, here's the thing, though. I don't think I would ever walk into this movie and think, oh, this looks interesting any time before the last like 10 minutes of it because prior to that it looks it it is exactly 100% a movie that I do not give a fuck about like if I were totally blind on this which I'm not because I live in the world (laughs) but if I went into this completely blind 
I would see a movie about a fucking misogynist doing a fucking gross thing. And um, I would be like, nope, don't care. What a- There's no outcome in this movie that I am into. And then it turns out to be a horror movie. And then I'm like, oh, no, just kidding. I am kind of into it. But also, herein lies what is perhaps my main complaint about this movie. I feel like the movie wants me to root for him, but I sort of don't. He's a really likable guy. Mm-hmm. but kind of almost in the nice guy trope. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think what would make this movie actually perfect is if she had gone for the friend because the gross audition was the friend's idea. Yeah. If she had, she no had also gone for the friend. The other thing that would have made this work better, I think, is if the friend had forced him into that more, but he was always kind of into it. Yeah. Like, he was like, I don't know, this seems like a weird idea, but not a bad one, and I don't find anything morally wrong with it. I had thoughts about that, too, because I was going in thinking, does he deserve what he got? Yeah. Because a lot of times you get that um, kind of exploitation trope of somebody's been wronged so badly that then when they do stuff, it's all excusable because all the people are bad guys. Just a caricature. I spit on your grave. Yeah, or 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 they would kill Bill, you know. Yeah, and in this case, I went. He's he's a loving dad, and some of the things you say, he's a pretty good guy. He seems very nice. He didn't want to do it, but you're right. He was still complicit, and so I think certainly the crime doesn't fit. You know, the the punishment doesn't fit this crime, but um, it's the initial part when the addition starts that he does the bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now, then from then on out, he's he seems fairly innocent. Yeah, he unless... didn't he didn't deserve what happened to him, but mm. maybe something bad. Maybe he deserved something bad. <laughs> Just uh, two or three needles. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm. You guys are a lot more. I don't know. My first note is literally, you know. I really want something bad to happen to this guy based on the type of woman he's looking for. Like, like, I think that's also an issue with this movie is that he got pushed into that though. Like, like that's the problem is like, he, he, he made a horror movie sin. He, he did a crime that in the horror movie universe must be dealt with. But unlike most horror movies where the person makes this, where, where the person indulges in the sin of their own free will, this isn't something he would have done on his own. And the movie is also very interested in showing us like he is a loving, he was a loving husband. You know, we have no reason to believe that he's anything other than a great dad. Like his kid is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Um, great kid. That is a great kid. They have a really good dog who they also go out of the way, out of their way to show she kills. Yeah. Yeah, can I just make a parenthetical objection here? Yes, please. <laughs> Is there any dog that ever survives a horror movie? Cujo. Do they just Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> Do they just put the dog? Now Cujo doesn't survive. Cujo has rabies. Cujo fucking dies. But he survives the movie. Okay, fair. <laughs> uh, but they just put the dog in the movie so they can torture you by killing it. And ugh. I'm gonna look up horror movies where the dog doesn't die. And see what I get. As soon as I saw that adorable little beagle, I was like, oh, man, you're going to kill a beagle? 
Horror movies where the dog lives auto-completes, by the way. <laughs> Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Dawn of the Dead, Chips Lives. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Friday the 13th, Part 8, which I wouldn't know because who got that far? Uh, I guess the Amityville Horror. Yeah. yeah oh, the, the, tw- the 2005 remake. Yeah, the Ryan Reynolds one, yeah. Oh, Buffalo Bill's Dog Precious Lives. Oh, yes. Despite... Being hung by Christmas lights, Barney and Grimlins lives, Nanook and Lost Boys, the dog in The Hills Have Eyes remake. Let's do let's do a suite of the dog lives movie. Okay, <laughs> so I don't have to have this rant for a little while. I'm for that. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I completely derailed us with with that little thing. I believe we were talking about. Um, he, he's a he's a good person that did a wrong thing that he was pushed into he's in but he wasn't pushed very hard it was kind of like a that doesn't seem right oh but we're gonna do it all right (laughs) is it possible there's some level of cultural aspect that we don't get to that though i don't know that that is something i spent a fair amount of time like like i was really kind of offended that what he wanted was this woman that wouldn't make eye contact with him Mm. Um, and then I just kept trying to, you know, is it a cultural thing? I don't know. Is it, is it, is it racist of me to assume it's a cultural thing? (laughs) I don't know. So I kind of was trying to be a little bit culturally sensitive at the same time being unsure. So. Yeah. His, I mean, his definition of the, of the perfect girl, I think is very cultural, based on my very limited knowledge <laughs> that comes mostly from like the worst places, honestly, like anime, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. anime and video games. Um, but beyond that, like it's a gross belief that he has that, that all of the men accepted son. We don't really know what the son's opinions are, but we do see the girl that the son dates who is like, Oh no, I ate your food. Let me make you a whole new entire meal. And I'm like, girl, sit down (laughs) it's fine Mm -hmm. but i don't it's a gross belief that he has you see it in the girl sorry i'm retracing my thoughts um and it's one that goes unchecked by anybody in the movie um except her she does point out that they were that that he was fine lying and sexually harassing the girls in in that like, like in the, the girls that were coming to the audition. And I really did appreciate that she pointed that out because it felt it felt like it wasn't going completely unanswered. However, it, it it's still like, I don't know. I like I still felt weird about having him be the bad guy. And maybe that's part of the point. But it's also part of this complicated knot of how I feel about this movie is that I am totally on board with everything she said. All of her words are A plus 100%. His actions are reprehensible and gross. He should not have got along with this. This is a stupid, gross plan. This whole idea is disgusting. But everything else that the movie shows me, like, I can't tell. And maybe I don't need to, except that I'm American and this is how we're raised to enjoy theater and media. I don't know who I should be rooting for. I feel very unclear on it. She is so broken. Like she is just a dis- maybe 
maybe i don't know i don't know what's fucking real in this movie (laughs) is she a destroyed person did he imagine all that the fuck is that dude just doing does that guy just live with no feet in this ballet school who the fuck let him in there is that her stepdad like i just i i have so many questions that i didn't realize i had until just now and you left out the guy in the sack i have so many questions about the guy in the sack ah yeah well and then there's also the weird seat like so then i'm like is this dude like the main character guy is he hallucinating all of this because when he goes to the apartment building to look for the owner of the crazy fish blue fish the bar yeah yeah stonefish stonefish crazy fish. (laughs) (laughs) when he goes to the apartment building to find her he has that whole moment like where the guy is like oh oh yeah this person died and then they found like extra fingers and ears and a tongue um and he like sees it that like we're not just getting a flashback the movie shows us that he is like seeing this he he jumps that like the guy sees him jump and so now at that point i'm like did he really see that? Is there like a weird haunting thing happening here? Is he hallucinating things? Is this a normal trope in Japanese movies of people being this imaginative and literally feeling like they're seeing these things that are described to them? I don't know the answer to this, but then it leads me down. Has he been hallucinating the whole the whole time? Is any of this real? You mentioned it's the haunting real. thing, and that reminded me of The Grudge, you know, where there is what do they say um somebody gets murdered or dies in a very like heightened emotional state and therefore the place becomes haunted you know mm-hmm. uh and manifests to people um but you know aside from that like as far as a hallucination i don't recall seeing anything that would have induced a hallucination i think part of how i, I pictured it was the movie showing us the real thing but it being instilled with some of his emotion behind it because you know it wouldn't actually be moving the way it was probably it was a little um stylized but it was like we're seeing what actually happened but also we're supposed to feel what he feels hearing it and so we're seeing and that's where i thought happened with a lot of the parts that you say oh is it hallucination i it gets very muddled right and i think it, it becomes confusing it becomes disorienting and i think the point of that was to show us both real things she was abused by this older man. These are things that happen. This is why she's broken. But to also show us disjointed and maybe wrong or at least inaccurate in the terms of reality things so that we feel that same maybe disorientation that he's feeling and confusion and fear because it makes you feel uh, unsettled. And see, I went a little bit more literal with what we're seeing with that and when she's doing the needle thing, she mentions something about pain, showing you the truth, your tr- something. And I, after hearing that, I thought everything we had seen before was him seeing his truth, seeing what he did, what she kind of figuring out what she experienced with some of the, you know, as he was piecing things together. Like I took it as more, I guess, the hallucinations of someone in severe pain if you will. You, yeah, you mentioned what she said about, I think she said um, w- words can create lies, but pain can be trusted. Yeah. And I think that's, as I said, I went a little bit more literal and I think that's what she, uh, that's kind of those things that raise all the questions, you know, is this what's going on here? I do like the idea that it's 
also very similar to the grudge and places become haunted but i also like things haunted so <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and i if we can go to maybe this is jumping too far ahead but the the guy in the sack I had, I thought there was like a weird, like a time travel thing going on because as you know, we see that first, we see, you know, her, when, when she's waiting for him to call her after the audition, she's sitting there with the person in the sack. And, you know, by the end of the movie, we see the person come out we see what injuries he has. And I think, aren't they the same as the injuries that she inflicts on, on the main guy? They're the same as the ones that we are told match the extra pieces found in the bar keeps apartment. Right. And that's where I was just like, well, that happened at, you know, his dismemberment happened after that scene. So like how, you know, I don't know. I got a little. The person in the sack was the person that was sleeping with the owner of the bar, I believe, because the owner of the bar was murdered and they found a tongue fingers and an ear. And the guy in the sack was missing a tongue fingers and an ear so i think that the guy in the sack was referenced they they said that um when he went to check on where she was supposed to have lived that information was wrong and they said but an interesting thing he'd gone missing for a month or whatever it was mm-hmm. and i believe that's who it was because that's when the friend goes beyond suspicious to you need to know this and this is strange because he does the digging. Why Why wasn't she telling the truth? What was the truth? And then she later, you know, she comes, quote unquote, comes clean and says, oh, I said that because, you know, I I, I thought you would think poorly of me if I didn't hmm. tell you that I, okay. you know, was in this ballet school or that I had, you know. And so she, she, I believe that's that first person that went missing. And that's where he went missing to. I mean, there's some ambiguity and I got to tell you something. I normally do not like ambiguity. I kind of like it in this film. I kind of like, I kind of like the the use of ambiguity in this film where you're, where you're kind of sitting around going, I'm not completely sure what's happening at any point. Well, yeah. And I think this is a movie I think is referenced by, you know, an Eli Roth or someone else about all these movies that um, kind of that, that torture porn. And I, I think perhaps the difference between those where you just go, here's people, either it's here's people that really don't deserve it and someone who just is really bad and is torturing them and there's that visceral reaction. But there can also be the one like, you know, Kill Bill where she's killing all these people and you love it because they deserve it and they're bad and she was wrong. But in this one, like we've already talked about, he's done some bad things, made some bad choices, but his overall seems like a great guy. And so when he's getting tortured, you sort of feel it. He's not hes not a random bad guy or a random good guy, he's a nuanced person. And you just feel so much of his pain, I think. At least I did. So that's funny you mentioned Eli Roth. And I definitely, now that you said that, I get, I can see this film's influence on Hostel. Because Hostel is this. I mean... Yes, it is torture porn, but you have almost an hour, a good hour before anything starts happening, and you get to know the three friends. The three friends aren't great, but they're, you know, they're dude bros on vacation in another country, and they trust the wrong person. You know, they're there to drink, do drugs, and get laid. Like I said, they're dude bros. I haven't seen it, but my understanding is that, yeah, they're not great people, but they don't deserve what happened to them. Yeah. And 
I so that's that's interesting you said that because I now I definitely see this film's influence on Hostel. Not about the second one, but the first one, yes. <laughs> I don't remember anything that happened in Hostel because when I saw it, I took my little brother and sister to see it because I figured it was just going to be like a horror movie. <laughs> and I think my little brother was See what year did that movie come out? Oh no. <laughs> My little brother was old enough to see a horror movie, but probably not fucking Hostel. Yeah, Hostel gets super intense. 2005. So he was... How old was I in 2005? You know what? I've just decided I don't want to do this math anymore. It's not fun <laughs> for me. Um, but I am yeah. reminded of taking my little brother, not my little brother, my kid, to Jurassic Park when... They were too young to see Jurassic Park. Go ahead. I'm sorry. In your defense, that movie is a liar. That movie's like, look at this wonder and whimsy and dinosaur murder. <laughs> he was he was old enough to come up with the phrase, I don't like the jumpy monster. Oh, so that's oh. that's how old my kid was when they watched Jurassic Park. Go ahead. Yeah. It's uh but yeah, I'd, so like, I, I just remember be, like the, in the first five minutes of Hostel, I was like, oh no, I think I might've made a mistake. <laughs> and then spending the entire rest of the movie just thinking, how do I get my little brother and sister out of this? Because I have fucked up. <laughs> Did you? Did you get the moment? Nope, we watched the whole thing. Uh, that's that's sort of the story of my entire family is showing inappropriate movies to children. One of one of a, a memory that all of us grandchildren share is uh, our papa taking us to go see Ghost in the Darkness. And I think I was 12, which would have made my sister two. Ooh. And nobody was happy except me. I was like, whoa, check out those fucking lions murdering the shit out of people. And uh, yeah, and all of my, my, my siblings and my cousins were like, oh, no, we want to leave. <laughs> we do not want to be here. <laughs> I've shared this before, but yeah, our uh, family vacation films one year was Aliens. I was eight. Brother was three. <laughs> the next year was predator we fucking loved both of them so yeah we were we were here for all of it that's awesome yeah i love that when i said that donna i watched donna's eyes get so big <laughs> i'm like the three-year-old probably doesn't remember it the four-year-old the four-year-old loved it and still loves it as a grown man <laughs> he still loves it the eight and nine-year-old still love both of them. So, <laughs> but back to audition. It yeah. is, um, yeah, like I said, it's interesting. I'm, I will be interested going back and seeing certain films to see the influence that it has had on, actually, honestly, I'd be interested to see it's just from the Eli Roth perspective, the torture porn aspect of what we've got. Because you can also make the argument saw. I was going to say, I think you can see its its influence on Saw as well. I was going to say Saw too, but then that got complicated. But you could see its influence on Saw as well, because what you have in Saw are people who have done bad things, or at least things that society considers bad or, un, or distasteful. Like, I don't know. I always have a problem with people like, Sloth, you were depressed and laid in bed. Roar, that's your sin. And I'm like, I don't know. Fuck you. <laughs> um, but like you, you like what you end up having are these complicated characters who have done quote unquote bad things but is it 
it is definitely a situation of this punishment does not fucking fit the crime. And I think that maybe one of the things that doesn't make me feel the same complicated emotions about Saw is that we're watching them try to get out of it. We do have something to root for in Saw because it's like this person has done something, it, it, it but it's not that bad. And I, I am here to see if they can get out of this. And they usually don't, but at least you get to like hope for a minute. Like, are they going to be the one? Is this it? <laughs> are they going to be Amanda? Let's be Amanda. I think the way you you, just, you explain that um, makes me go back to what I was thinking about the scenes in this movie where I do think some of those those confusing parts are designed to make us feel emotions and in a more nuanced way than just an average movie. So, for example, when he's paralyzed, we feel helpless. Like you said, you know, there's not something he can do or that we can watch to to go toward. It's her telling him this monologue. And part of the monologue, we can say, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done this audition. But then when she says, you loved someone besides me, you loved your son. We go, well, that's okay. No, yeah. what yeah. she's saying is 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 wrong. And so she, he could never live up to an ideal where he would have been okay. She has this hurt from men because of early on with the ballet teacher. That's, yeah, that's it. I think you just really like hit something that I feel about this movie, which is that it's not even really his own sin that gets him in this situation. It's just meeting her. As soon yeah. as he met her and as soon as he liked her, he was fucked. Mm -hmm. Like there was just, there was, there was nothing that he actively did. Like his problem in this movie was actually being kind to her. I do want to say when I was watching it, as soon as she said, you won't love anyone else but me, I was like, oh, no, oh, no. There's, there's, there's the boy. There's the dog. There's the dog. This is a moment where we need all of those different Greek words for love. Be very specific. Which, which one do you mean right now? I, I, I can promise not to romantically love anybody else, but let's talk about the, the, the familial and the, and the friendship love here. We need some allowances for dogs because let me tell you, I love all of the dogs. All and, and it's like you you put it, 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 it as soon as he came into contact with her, you know, it was something he 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 contracted. Yeah, we're, we're back to the it follows. I was going <laughs> to say in here. that really fits in with it follows. With I think that was a great comparison as well. Yeah, um, and I like I don't know I I, I don't want to make it sound like these are bad things because I don't know that they're bad things. Like this isn't a reason that I don't like the movie. It's just, it's the reason that my feelings are that complicated, not because like, I, I like to have clarity. Like my brain wants my, my brain and my emotions want clarity. They want to know who the bad guy is and who the good guy is and who I'm supposed to be rooting for. And this movie is not fucking interested in giving that to me. Nope. Nope. And that's, nope. That's fine. Like, I think that that is great. I think that there should definitely be movies that do not want to give me what I want. Um, would you? Sometimes I want things that I didn't know I wanted or that are bad for me. Would we like to step for just a moment into Donna's medical corner? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the wire that she uses is called Jiggly Wire, G I G L I, Jiggly Wire. G I G L I, like the bad Ben Affleck movie. Yeah, except it's pronounced jiggly, possibly giggly, but 
jiggling. This is, um, it sounds so and, cute. Um, and it actually works very much. You, you've got, you've got the wire and then you've got the two handles that you attach to the wire and there's kind of some roughness to it. And it is in fact used for cutting through bone. You would use it to uh, saw through bone in an amputation. I thought it was a, um, you know, from the piano, the, the strings, nope. piano strings. It's, a, it's an actual medical thing. Um, however, Thing one, it does jack against soft tissue. I mean, it, it'll mess up soft tissue, but it is not going to just cut through soft yeah. tissue. Um, and the second thing is you would not wrap it twice around the bone, okay? You use it like a saw, so you put it under the bone and then you saw, which nobody on the podcast can see me mimicking, <laughs> but you, you, you just go up and down, up and like you're like you're milking a cow, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And you just you just saw through the bone because there's a roughness to that wire. Uh, but the way she was using it, it would do. I mean, you could strangle someone with it, yes, absolutely, but it was not going to pop his head off the way she was using it. So this is another instance of they did not consult with a medical professional. Exactly. Or they did, because, and they were like, "Oh, we no. hear you, but that is less cool. So we're going to do yes. the cool thing." Yeah. I yes. mean, this is better. It's pretty rough. St- I have I have used jiggly wire. Uh, a few times and it is because I've done some amputation uh, and it is Who wronged you <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it is very effective for cutting through bone but will not cut through soft tissue like that at all did anybody else think of the real life parallels of like what was happening with the audition and basically like the power disparity between him and the auditionees and you know, the things that we hear about going on more recently with Harvey Weinstein and James Franco. And I, I, I feel like there's somebody else and I can't think of their name off the top of my head. Joss Whedon. Yes. Yes. My, uh, my favorite podcasters, the McElroys like to talk about, um, you know, don't, don't hit on somebody when they're at work. Don't hit on somebody when they have to be nice to you and they can't get away from you. That's a, that's a piece of advice they give frequently. And it is, by the way, fantastic advice. Follow that advice. Don't hit on someone when they can't tell you to leave them alone. Um, but they were, that was one thing that was happening in this audition is these, these women could not, you know, if they wanted the job, they couldn't be like, this is really inappropriate. Do not call me again. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and then they have this power disparity but then later, you know, in power, then later when she's literally on top of him sawing or putting needle, she has, and he's paralyzed. She has that complete and utter power. And I think this jumps back to some of that ambiguity because what does he do with his power? Forgetting about the, the friend, because the friend's pretty gross in the interviews talking about, you know, uh, sex and, you know, very personal type questions that don't seem like they would make sense for the movie. But then the guy himself asks almost nothing and is just very interested in the one person. And is, well, with, that's what he does with his power. What does she do with her power over him? Stick needles in him and cuts off his foot. <laughs> so, so I think it is a, it, it's a level of extremity, right? Her reaction, uh, a negative reaction to him doing an audition to try and then date someone. Yeah, that's fair. Like Connor has said, it's gross. Boy, does it not warrant what she does. (laughs) I'm trying to find some way to make the injuries that she inflicts on him be a metaphor for either what men do to women or the female experience. 
I think it's the power dis- disparity. I think really that's what it is. I mean, it's granted she takes it to a very extreme spot, but she paralyzes him. She's on top of him. She's overpowering, you know, she's overpowered him, if you will. And the movie does take pains to show us how fucking tiny she is, even while she's doing this. Like, mm-hmm. like okay, <laughs> one, I know that I have fucked up taste because it's like for most of the movie, I was like, oh, she's pretty. But then in that final, like at the end, when she gets like all done up in her murder gear, I was like, wait, she's hot. <laughs> well, there's a change that happened right there, too, because for most of the movie, she was tremendously submissive you know looking down talking so quietly um just incredibly submissive and once she got up in the bondage gear she was making direct eye contact and she was speaking um loudly and clearly so i think what made her suddenly gut go hot was that confidence she was she was she was suddenly this very powerful person and uh you know i'm i am i am into masculine presenting people um but i did notice the change you're talking about i was i was like whoa i i just i like it when it looks like women could kill me (laughs) (laughs) i think the cinematography the, the cinematographer is to thank for a lot of that because the earlier shots are far away from her um and 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 most of most of the people they're far away they're distanced you know we've already had the person mentioned everyone in japan is lonely we we see everything through this lens of isolation and then when she's torturing him we're seeing this close-up shot of her face and in the very near background so i mean it's the foreground is what's happening but then she's right there and that really adds to that i think like you said that change in her that confidence we see her close up now we can see nuance. We can see her for, as a person. It's a it's a scary person. It's a broken and wrong person. But previously, it was just a demure caricature. You just made me think of, uh, you know, if, well, there was a quote, I think, at some point in the movie at the beginning where maybe it was a friend that said, you know, it's like buying a car. And then what <laughs> I just thought of just now is like, yeah, they bought a car and the car was... What was the car from Stephen King's Christine, Christine or whatever? I actually would like to talk about the scene where she got undressed for him because I noticed something really interesting in that scene. Now, I'm going to just guess that four of the five of us have had the experience of undressing for a man. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> And what does that man do? He smiles, okay? When you start undressing for a man, he smiles. And Ayamo did not smile. Yeah. He looked, frankly, he looked a little concerned. He did. So that that's also the turning point in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think that was the test? Where she was testing him? Yeah, because it occurs to me, and this is something I, I really hadn't thought of. Um, it occurs to me that he wanted to go have dinner with her. He wanted to like have a very chaste evening in which mm-hmm. he ended it by proposing to her pre-marital mm-hmm. sex, prior to marital sex. <laughs> um, 
And by undressing for him and inviting him into the bed and to touch her, she is in a way breaking the idea that he has about her and the woman he wanted. True. So I wonder, I wonder if maybe that's a, a quote unquote sin that I hadn't considered before. Like was everything else sort of the inciting incident? And this was the moment where she decides whether or not he is going to be horribly how the rest of his life goes. <laughs> because that's also in the same scene where she asks him if, is that when she asks him if he'll love, if he'll only love her? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. So that all happens in the same scene. And so maybe even there's a different answer he could have given. Like maybe she said, will you promise to only love me? And if he had, and I'm not saying that this is reasonable because I don't think anybody would fucking think to do this with a person that they're dating. And quite honestly, you should not have to think of this with a person that you're dating. Um, But if he had said something like, yeah, well, I mean, I love my kid. (laughs) I love my dog. I love my friends. But romantically, I, I promise to only love you. If he had given an answer like that, would things have gone differently? Like, was was that night just a series of tests that he failed? See, I don't know if it would have gone differently because of her history. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, I think he was doomed the first time he called her. I think as soon as he called her, he was doomed. Uh, she fixated on him. And um, I, I, I think... I think he was in trouble from that moment. That's, but to be honest, that is the moment he abused his power. That's true. The audition itself wasn't even the actual sin. If he had not followed through on the audition, that's, that's the point. He abused his power. And that's the point. I think she fixated on him. I rem- remember her falling asleep, staring at the phone, waiting for him to call. Um, so more advice from his friend, by the way, who told him to wait to call, which is such bullshit dating advice. Yeah, don't play games. Just don't play games. Yeah, don't play games because if you weren't, if he weren't playing games, this movie wouldn't have happened. <laughs> this is jumping, but there was something interesting I noticed at the end. So after Sun has uh, pushed her down the stairs and she is laying, she has her hand outstretched in a scene that, if it wasn't what we already know it is, looks kind of like the you know the two dying lovers kind of reaching out. And she's spouting stuff that doesn't fit with it. Presumably, perhaps, well, there's a lot of reasons could be, but it might be maybe she had a brain injury and she's just saying things that um, don't fit the situation, but that uh, are running through her head. It almost sounds like she's on a tape recorder, you know? She's just saying stuff from the past, kind of. I kind of felt like that was him, that that she she was dead, she was gone, and that was him remembering the things she said. That's how it read to me. Oh, okay, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. So it did, even in that last bit, have this like what could have been, even though you're staring at you know this horrendous scene. Uh-huh. It, that was very interesting. It's kind of like this whole movie was about him uh, trying to find new love. Bit, but even that was because son says it's time you need to and and you should be happy in this and he he turns his wife's picture away when he's looking at all the you know which is another thing that shows us there's this mix of okay like i don't feel great about this but i didn't see it as a i'm doing a wrong thing it was more of a even dating feels hard because i still love her 
he's a very passive character. Um, he doesn't make a lot of choices for himself. Other people tell him what to do. Um, actually, I say that, and then right up until the time he's really into her, in which case he kind of quits letting people tell him what to do. Yeah. Maybe that's the lesson. He needs to let people tell him what to do. <laughs> he was better off passive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one time he starts making a decision is the worst time. <laughs> but he really wasn't, I mean, that passive, because we get the little teaser scene. I don't want to say teaser. Teaser is the wrong word. But where he had sex with his basically his secretary. Yeah. Like, I... Mean, I True. You know, and I mean, I think it, that goes back to the, the abuse of power, like, it, and it goes back to the McElroy rule about I'm at work. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I wanted to talk about that. Let's talk about that, because all we saw at first was that she was kind of into him in a weird, creepy way. Um, in fact, at, at first, I was like, oh, I'm not comfortable with her uh, until the reveal that they had slept together. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'm not comfortable with him. Um, but yeah, so she came up to him and said she was getting married. And then later on, she really wanted his attention when she was leaving. And then we find out that he has slept with her. Um, but there was no sign that he was being inappropriate with her other than that. Okay, wait, wait. Theory. And I think that this goes along with the rest of the movie. We don't know because we're seeing it from his POV. True. Because True. All, all the rest of this movie is definitely from his POV. And so what we're seeing with her is just his interpretation of her behavior. Yeah, okay. That's fair. That's very fair. That maybe the actual situation between him and her was very different than what we saw. Yeah. I appreciate the subtlety of so many things in this movie like that. That a lot of times I think American movies for American audiences, we get beat over the head with what we're supposed to know and what we're supposed to think because we're too dumb to get it. Yeah. And so, sadly, that might be true in a lot of cases. <laughs> but this does not spoon feed anything. It's all up to you to figure out what you feel about everything that's going on. And I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, we've just, just the five of us alone talking about this film, we've had five different takes on different scenes you know well i think it's this well i think it's that you know it's yeah it's it's definitely very layered and you know has the ambiguity mm -hmm. yeah i was a little surprised when i saw that it had an 82 percent rating on rotten tomatoes it's pretty mm -hmm. wild yeah right i actually think the kind of people that are going to seek that movie out and watch it are the kind of people that are going to appreciate what it is I guess not just going to be some rando watching that film and going, this is dumb. Well, and especially though that first hour, well, and we've talked about this, that first hour, you, you don't know what you're watching. You really don't. And then it's when the, the horror elements start to peek in that you're like, oh, this is, this is different. Okay. Well, Adrian, you have our rule. Um, the rule is, Introduce your SO to your friend. Okay, first the rule is have friends you can trust. Follow it up with introduce your SO to your friends. And if there are problems, pay attention. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not saying that you have to dump your SO if your friends don't like them, but listen to your friends. I've run into this problem in real life. It like, like just, just 
your friends should be a good litmus test. <laughs> and if they're not, get better friends. <laughs> All right. Donna, you have our quote. Our quote is delivered by a almost housekeeper. And it is, a man needs a woman to support him or he'd exhausted. Now, I want to talk about that line for a moment because when it was first delivered, I rolled my eyes and was like, I think I'm done with this film. Um, but then I looked at it again and the way she delivers that line, I think she's saying what he wants to hear. Uh, she says it, leaned back in her chair with her head at the ceiling. She's talking to the ceiling and she looks really exasperated. Uh, so I think she's actually um, bitching about men when she says it rather, <laughs> rather than, rather than uh, attempting to be supportive of him. I like that interpretation. Yeah. And it kind of ties in with knowing about her mother and having to, and who she took care of her stepfather kind of mm -hmm. fits in with that as well. All right. And then Donna, you also have our poll question. I do have our poll question. And that my poll question is this, is this movie misogynistic or is this movie feminist? Go. I will go first because I think it's both. I think the first hour is very misogynistic and I think you're thinking it's one thing. And I mean, yes, we have gone, we have talked about does the punishment fit the crime with this film, but it does become very feminist with the power shift if you will so yeah i i think it's a i think it's both i think you uh you're walking into this and you think you're getting one thing and not by the end yeah i think it's feminist because it to me the the misogyny at the beginning is the setup and the build-up for i i agree i think at the beginning it there there's a lot of misogyny in the beginning uh including the quote that i just gave but uh i think that all does set up at the end, you know, like, like the secretary, you know, you see the secretary walking around being a little bit weird. And then at the end you realize, Oh no, I think maybe he did her wrong. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you've got, you've got the crazy girl trope. You've got the, um, you, you've got the, um, the, the women being all submissive. Uh, and then at the end you've got, um, Hey, 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 maybe don't treat girls that way. Oh, horrible, horrible way. Yeah. I, I thought about this as well. Is it is it empowering to women? Because at the end, she has all of the power, but she she uses it in what I think we all agree is a cruel way, but she has that power and is able to utilize it. And I, I sort of thought in terms of like, a, a, you know, the movie The Monster with Aileen Warnes or something, this idea of a, a woman being equal to a man whether or not that means they have the same capability for cruelty or, or evil or wickedness, as well as the same capabilities of using their power for good, as we might say. And so it does, I, I guess the answer for me is that it explores all those things. I don't know that it even gives an answer, but it certainly explores it all and makes you think about it. Mm -hmm. Fair. I've been trying to come up with my answer to this question and like, and I don't know because I don't really know how I feel about the idea of women using their femininity for violence as an empowering feminist ideal. Um, I know that she's hot at the end, um, <laughs> which is maybe also not feminist. I just, there's a way that the movie exploits her throughout. 
that re- makes it really difficult for me to definitively say um, because the when she's a child and she's being abused, they have her sitting there like I thought of this before and then we did something else and I forgot to say it. Um, you know, there's been so much kerfuffle about the film Cuties and how it's now I, I watched the movie because I I like to watch things that people hate, I guess. Um, but to me, that movie is very clearly a film about how we exploit children and, 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 and particularly female children. And um, I think that the movie makes it pretty clear. And in doing so, it does also definitely exploit children. Um, it's not happy. It's but like, but, but it's still doing exactly the thing that it is talking about for, you know, better or worse, whatever. I can't make a judgment call on that. Um, and I think that this film does the same thing. Uh, you know, we are shown what I would consider to be fairly graphic images of a young girl being tortured in a fairly sexual manner. We have her sitting on the ground with her legs open and spread and the man approaching between her legs to to put something on her upper inner thigh. And... Mm-hmm. She sits there and she takes it. And it feels to me like the camera is showing it in a way that makes it appear she's at the very least fine with it, if not inviting it. She's very passive about it. And even she doesn't, she doesn't look like she's the slightest bit concerned as he's approaching. And even when she's reacting, she's not trying to get away. It's a weird scene that really, it's disturbing. Yeah, it is. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure that it's supposed to be. But it's it's the things like that that make it really difficult for me to feel like I have an answer to that question of, is this a feminist movie or not? Because like I feel like that scene maybe goes just a touch. I don't know, maybe a touch isn't the right word. But that scene goes to a place that just makes it really hard for me to answer this question. I don't know. <laughs> I, do, I do want to back up real quick and say, I don't think the fact that she drugs him and tortures him is feminist at all. I think the fact that that turn in the movie puts consequences on all those previous behaviors is what uh, has the feminist aspect on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 um, I, I mean, I guess there's certainly something feminist to the idea that women can be serial killers too. That's, Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I think that the thing that this conversation about the, the misogyny versus feminism has cemented to me is none of us throughout this have known what to think about all of it completely, right? We don't know what to think about this, but we all know how we feel about the parts of the movie. I think if you take any given part, mm-hmm. you know how you feel about it, but you don't know what to think about it. And that's a beauty to this movie. I'll agree with it's that. So mm-hmm. visceral. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We do appreciate your support. Uh, We are on the social media. You can find us on Twitter at Beyond Cabin. Then we have our Facebook page as well as our webpage, which is beyondthecabinandwoods.com. Debbie, what, where is our Instagram? What is our Instagram? Uh, It's, it's also beyond the cabin in the woods. Uh, You can find me on Twitter or Instagram as at Callista 77. I'm uh I'm at Dragon Goblin. Uh, that last I in Goblin, just leave it out. 
at Dragon Goblin on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Junkyard Poet on Twitter. Um, maybe. I don't know. Good luck with that. You can find my hedgehog on Instagram at Bertrand underscore D underscore Snufflebottom. So cute. So cute. <laughs> oh, my God. So cute. And as always, thank our wonderful editor, Billy, for making us uh, sound awesome and professional. <laughs> Billy Thank you, Billy. Yeah, we will see you next time. I don't read the Latin. Don't sexually harass people either. Yeah. You know what horror is. Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow. Meow.